Welcome. All the Book Collector podcasts are special, but this one is more special than others. It is Mark James reading Anker Timmerman's article relating to Joseph Banks, the famous explorer and naturalist, whose death 200 years ago is being remembered worldwide. The article was printed in the Book Collector for summer 2020 in conjunction with the Linnaean Society of London. A catalogue of books relating to Joseph Banks is available on the website of Type and Form. As Joseph Banks approached New Zealand on 3rd of October 1769, he wrote in his journal, Now do I wish our friends in England could by the assistance of some magical spying glass take a peep at our situation. Dr. Solander sits at the cabin table describing myself at my bureau journalising. Between us hangs a large bunch of seaweed. Upon the table lays the wood and barnacles. They would see that, notwithstanding our different occupations, our lips move very often, and without being conjurers might guess that we were talking about what we should see upon the land, which there is no doubt we shall see very soon. The rich, colourful flora of Brazil, Tahiti, New Zealand and Australia had been largely unexplored when Joseph Banks arrived in the Pacific on board His Majesty's Bark Endeavour during Captain Cook's first voyage 250 years ago. Its investigation, description and depiction by Banks, the naturalist Daniel Solander and the artist Sidney Parkinson was as historically important as Cook's exploration of the Australian East Coast. After the return of the Endeavour to England, with thousands of specimens on board, the publication of Banks's botanical findings was just as eagerly anticipated. It really did promise to be a magical spying glass into worlds as yet unseen by other Europeans. Among those most excited to learn about Banks's discoveries, but keenly aware of the sheer amount of work required for Banks to finish his projected catalogue of the plants discovered in the voyage, was Solander's erstwhile professor, Carl Linnaeus. Linnaeus, wrote William Stern, was thus dismayed to learn from his correspondent, John Ellis, that Banks intended to sail again with Cook on another long voyage in the near future. He feared, with justification, that all their matchless and truly astonishing collection, such as has never been seen before, nor may never be seen again, is to be put aside untouched, to be thrust into some corner, to become, perhaps, the prey of insects and of destruction. Indeed, although Banks would concentrate on his presidency of the Royal Society and a life as one of the foremost botanists in Britain, rather than embarking upon another circumnavigation, and although he employed Solander to describe the plants as well as a team of 18 engravers to engrave a total of 743 plates over the course of 13 years, the long-anticipated work remained unpublished at Banks's death in 1820, apart from some small groups of proof plates. 
While disappointing Linnaeus's expectations regarding the projected publication, the immortal banks would be instrumental in determining the fate of Linnaeus's own collections, and thus in making new botanical worlds accessible to naturalists. Perhaps more aware than most of the problems of housing collections, his own had required him to purchase a house on Soho Square in London, and following a failed attempt to acquire Linnaeus's collections after his death, Banks encouraged the young English physician and botanist, James Edward Smith, to bring the collections to England when they were once more offered for sale after Linnaeus's son's death in 1783. Linnaeus's library had previously been held back by his family, but was now also included in the sale, and therefore 3,000 books, a large number of manuscripts, and the correspondence of Linnaeus, some 3,000 letters, were among the founding collections of the Linnaean Society of London in 1788. Over the past 232 years, they have been joined by further correspondences between naturalists and their archives, so that the collections now include the papers of figures from Linnaeus's immediate circle, such as the cloth merchants and botanists John Ellis and Peter Collinson, those of the naturalist and traveller Thomas Pennant, one of the earliest fellows of the Linnaean Society, and a correspondent of both Linnaeus's and Smith's, and those of the physician, conchologist and botanist Richard Pulteney. In the later 18th and the 19th centuries, Naturalist collector fellows contributed descriptions of new species of plants and animals from across the globe. The papers of Alexander Anderson, the superintendent of the St. Vincent Botanical Garden in the British West Indies, include 148 drawings of plants from the garden. The East India Company surgeon Francis Buchanan Hamilton communicated his botanical and ichthyological finds from Bengal, Mysore, and Nepal, and the entomologist Alexander Maclay, the first president of the Australian Museum at Sydney, and his son William Sharp Maclay, both sent letters to Smith from Australia. The notebooks of Alfred Russell Wallace record his travels and researches in the Amazon, North America, and the Malay Archipelago, from where he sent the essay which would be read at the Linnaean Society in 1858 and, with Darwin's writings, first posited the theory of evolution. Cumulatively, these written interactions between generations of naturalists form a veritable palimpsest of natural historical knowledge. Since, however, the collections relating to Linnaeus, Banks and Smith and their circles are so rich, this article will focus specifically on them. Any foray into the foundation collections of the Linnaean Society will provoke a sense of awe and excitement, perhaps reminiscent of the first sighting of Botany Bay. Here are riches of international importance, ready to be explored. Here, the young medical student Carl Linnaeus spells out in his own words and hand, his youthful passion for plants and classification systems in a notebook titled Spolia Botanica, or Botanical Treasures, 
in which he records plants from three Swedish regions, according to the popular classifications of his predecessors, John Ray, Joseph Piton de Tournefort, and Augustus Quirinus Rivinus. Here, too, we can see the development of his own system of classification, which earned him the title of the father of modern taxonomy, and was first published in Leiden in 1735 under the title Systema Naturae. Its refinement and gradual expansion from 11 folio pages into the definitive 10th edition of some 1,400 pages in 1758 unfolds in Linnaeus's own copies of the successive editions, each annotated extensively in preparation for the next, to the extent, indeed, of turning them into working manuscripts. The advancement of knowledge via the constant evolution of note-taking techniques is a recognisable theme throughout Linnaeus's collections. Indeed, Stefan Mullevilla and Isabel Charmontier have observed that the first of two preliminary manuscripts for Linnaeus's Species Plantarum resembles a filing system, much like Linnaeus's own herbarium, filled on a day-to-day -day basis as he encountered relevant information either through his reading, through his correspondence, or through the specimens he received. The second Species Plantarum manuscript suffered from the inflexibility of being bound and shows a correspondingly large number of deletions, insertions and amendments in Linnaeus's hand, while still making it impossible for him to experiment in any way with the classification of new material. Linnaeus's complaint that he felt like a hen hatching eggs, with its ambivalent meaning of being stuck and carrying on, stems from the period when he was working on this manuscript. Eventually, Linnaeus's flexible note-taking techniques developed into his use of paper slips akin to modern-day index cards. Many parts of the Linnaean manuscript collections provide points of connection between Linnaeus's specimens, correspondence and works, as well as threads picked up and developed further by future generations. Carl Linnaeus the Younger, for example, introduced wraparound folders to his own paper-slip system for the organisation of species. Interestingly, Solander first used paper slips for recording the specimens Banks had gathered during the Endeavour voyage, then for Banks's herbarium specimens, and finally for cataloguing specimens in the British Museum, to which his successor, Jonas Carlson Dryander, added over time. Linnaeus the Younger's visit to England in 1781-82 is responsible for a delightful assortment of related documents in the Linnaean Society's manuscript collections, which provide many interesting insights into the life of Banks's immediate circle that would soon include the young James Edward Smith. In London, during his frequent visits to 32 Soho Square, Linnaeus the Younger met both Solander and Dryander, and his surviving papers from the period include notes on the Endeavour voyage, botanical records, sketches and a map, possibly of Kew Gardens, 
A Fragmentary Diary and Miscellaneous Observations on English versus Swedish Vegetables, Chickens, the Women in England, and a French Cure for Gonorrhea, A Description of Solander's Brain Hemorrhage and Death in May 1782, which he witnessed, and medical prescriptions possibly intended to cure the illness that would kill him after his return home in the following year, just five years after his father's death. Linnaeus the Younger's contact with the Banks Circle in London likely influenced the fate of his father's collections. When the Linnaeus family's agent sought a buyer for the collections in the following year, he wrote to Dryander asking him to press Banks, who had been offered first refusal, for a response. Banks's decision to decline the offer, but instead to direct it towards Smith, led to the latter's acquisition of the collections which provided the foundations of the Linnaean society. This example serves to demonstrate the manner in which these comprehensive collections illuminate the lives of figures such as Linnaeus, Banks, Smith and those around them, which can also be seen in Smith's specimens from Botany Bay. When the first fleet arrived in Australia in 1787, its surgeon John White collected seeds and plant specimens, which he sent to a fellow of the Linnaean Society, who, in turn, gave them to Smith, who would eventually hold 379 such specimens in his herbarium. Smith's first published accounts of the Australian flora were botanical descriptions of seven new plants, including three new species of Banksia, published in White's Journal of a Voyage to New South Wales in 1790. The following year, Smith wrote of a box of specimens from Botany Bay that they were so very new we can hardly settle the natural orders of some of them. Smith's own correspondence of some 3,500 scientific and personal letters most of which were presented to the Linnaean Society by his widow Pleasant Smith, is as varied and substantial as that of Linnaeus, and covers his interactions with others as, successively, a student, a naturalist, and the founder and first president of the Linnaean Society. His correspondents include many important figures of his time, from the traveller George Annesley, Viscount Valencia, to Smith's early mentor and close friend Thomas Jenkinson Woodward, and Linnaeus's apostles, from Adam Afsalius to Carl Peter Thumberg. A relatively recent addition to the Linnaean Society's holdings of Smith's manuscripts deserves particular mention. This octave volume, comprising a number of slim fascicules, bound together in an attractive calf binding, is the travel journal Smith kept during his tour of the continent from June 1786 to November 1787, written in Smith's even hand and illustrated with a few charming sketches. This did not come to the society with the other Smith materials, but was given by Smith's widow Pleasance to his nephew Studley Martin in 1869. In the 1970s, it was rescued from a builder's skip, and in 2012, the Linnaean Society acquired it, thus enabling it to be reunited with other items from Smith's archive 
after an absence of nearly 150 years. Happily, it is now possible to study the manuscript, the published journal of 1793, and Smith's surviving correspondence together, which reveals the important interrelations between them. In 1785, the year before his departure for the continent, Smith had been elected a Fellow of the Royal Society, of which Banks had been president since 1778. During his grand tour of 1786-7, Banks's letters of introduction would provide Smith with access to many botanists. After having dispensed with the official purpose of his trip, the award of his MD in Leiden, Smith continued to Amsterdam, where he wished to visit Nicholas Lawrence Berman, son of the botanist and physician Johannes Berman, who had also been a correspondent of Linnaeus's. Smith's manuscript journal simply records for 3rd of July 1786, With much difficulty, having met with Professor Berman, I made myself known to him. I signified a desire of consulting his collection. His engagements would not that day admit of it, nor did he seem much inclined to find an opportunity. So I took my leave. In the printed journal of 1793, however, the same day's events are narrated with more detail. The Dutch, in general, seem still to retain that extravagant rage for buying rarities at an exorbitant price, for which they have long been famous. And when they do not lock up such rarities from those who are worthy to behold them, no well-wisher to science can lament their possessing them. I called on Dr. Berman, Professor of Botany, whose herbarium I was very anxious to consult for the purpose of ascertaining a few plants among the Plantae Africanae in the sixth volume of Linnaeus's Amoinitates Academicae. The plants of that dissertation were described by Linnaeus from dried specimens lent him only by this Dr. Berman, and are consequently among the few species mentioned in his works that are not to be found in his own collection. Unfortunately, however, the professor was so much engaged in the practice of physic, and so averse to entering on botanical subjects, that, notwithstanding the recommendation of my good friend David Van Royen, I was obliged, after repeated appointments, and as many disappointments, to give up my object, though the business might have been done in ten minutes, as I did not wish to take up the professor's time by any conversation with himself. If the reader is shocked at this disgraceful anecdote, let him remember, for the honour of science, it is the only one of the kind he will meet with in the course of my tour. While the elaboration on Berman's herbarium is certainly informed by Smith's familiarity with Linnaeus's materials, which he had acquired shortly before his departure for the continent, his sharp undertone can be better understood through his related correspondence in the Linnaean Society's manuscript collections. Two letters are particularly pertinent. First, Smith's to Woodward, written just a few days after the Berman 
disappointment, in which he opines that Berman shelters his ignorance under his professorial dignity, and is very difficult of access, nor did he seem to be acquainted with some very well-known botanical facts. And second, there is Banks's letter to Smith, by now at Paris, in the following month, in which he responds to Smith's frustrated plans. I had no hope that Berman would be propitious. Indeed, it is not to be expected that any man will be such a fool as to expose his own ignorance, which he must have done, had he submitted to have been asked the questions you could not have failed to have put to him in looking through his herbarium. Whether one considers him precocious or a prodigy, the young Smith and his burgeoning knowledge of the botanical world are revealed vividly through these letters, his journal, and the published account. Finally, Smith's annotated books are an important and fascinating component of his collections, particularly since they do not just include his own marginalia. For example, Smith's copy of Albrecht von Haller's Nomenclator ex Historia Plantarum Helvetiae was apparently annotated by the botanist Edmund de Waal, a friend and correspondent of Smith's, who was one of the original fellows of the Linnaean Society. He had been proposed as a fellow by Banks's librarian Dryander. Born in England, de Waal had returned to his parents' native Switzerland after his father's death, and had worked with von Haller in 1787. The 48 letters preserved at the Linnaean Society document the two botanists discussing, among other things, Linnaeus, von Haller's work and library, and Smith's Treasures from Botany Bay. Deval's final unfinished letter was forwarded by his wife Henriette, together with the death notice on 13 February 1798, and her following letter of 21st September 1799 informed Smith that Deval had left his herbarium to Smith. It is possible that this copy of von Haller's Nomenclator accompanied this bequest, and that Smith would have valued it particularly for Deval's annotations. Sadly, in recent years this volume has deteriorated, but, thanks to a number of generous donations, it is now being conserved under the Linnaean Society's Adopt-Lin scheme, which raises funds to preserve the Society's collections for future generations. That was Mark James reading A Palimpsest of Naturalists, the Manuscripts of the Linnaean Society of London. Did you enjoy that podcast? If so, you simply must subscribe to The Book Collector at www.thebookcollector.co.uk. Only £70 for a whole year. That's cheaper than Netflix. For that, you'll receive our splendid quarterly issues filled with erudite articles, reviews, book news, auction results and more. At the same time, you'll be able to browse our vast digital archive at your leisure. That's nearly 70 years of bibliophilic treasure. www.thebookcollector.co.uk is the place to find us. 
Don't delay. Subscribe today.